you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. If you're using one of the Bibles here, it should be on page 974. We've been making our way through this letter of the Apostle Paul. And here, as we consider verses 8 through 20 of chapter 4, he begins to take all that he's been saying by way of a kind of theological exposition. He's giving us all of these truths regarding the fact that the law, though given to God's people long ago, was a temporary thing. It was never meant to be their savior. Uh, The law was not meant to save them, but rather Christ is the one who gave himself for them. Christ is the one who delivered them. And the law served a purpose until Christ came. But now that Christ has come, uh, all of the regulations of the old covenant under the law have fallen away because they've been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now the Apostle Paul is setting forth for the church and for us the fact that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, by believing we are saved by believing we are counted righteous before God, by believing we are justified by God. That's the simple truth that the Apostle Paul is proclaiming. And he's doing so in the face of these opponents, these false teachers, who are trying to accuse the Apostle Paul of not giving the full message. There must be more, right? There must be more than just believing in Jesus Christ. And so these false teachers are saying, no, the Apostle Paul is hiding something from you. And Paul has answered those objections. And now as he addresses the Galatians, the the church there, he addresses them in a very personal manner at this point, reminding them of their own reception of him and reminding them of what they they were delivered from serving the idols of this world to now come to know the living God. So this section here is very personal as the Apostle Paul speaks uh, to the church in Galatia. So Galatians chapter 4, we'll read verses 8 through 20. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose." They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So far from God's holy word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, In the passage that we have just read, the Apostle Paul gives them two different reminders in this section. Two different reminders. 
Uh, First, the Apostle Paul reminds them of their pagan past. He reminds them of what God had delivered them out of. And then secondly, he reminds them of their reception of himself, of the Apostle Paul, and how they were willing to receive him despite what he appeared outwardly. And so those two reminders are going to be our two points as we consider uh, this passage together. First, their reminder of their pagan past, what God has delivered them from in verses 8 through 11. And then the reminder of their reception of the gospel, the gospel that Paul preached in verses 12 through 20. So we'll consider those two points uh, together uh, this afternoon. So first, the reminder that Paul gives them of their previous life in paganism. And in many ways, all of us here can relate to what Paul is saying. Uh, It's a universal truth that Paul is getting at when he reminds them of what they were once enslaved to. The Bible teaches us, and therefore God teaches us, that all people, on account of uh, the sin of our first parent Adam, were born in sin, born under sin, born in darkness, and in need of deliverance, of need of being uh, set free. And so, right, so as we can reflect upon this reminder that Paul's giving them, we too are reminded of our own past, if we are in Christ and have been set free, but also maybe we are not in Christ, and we can see something of a commentary on our own lives, of who we are at present. So notice what the Apostle Paul does in reminding them. He says, formerly, so in the past, when you did not know God, right? That is a, is a definition of those who are unbelievers, those who are outside of Christ. You do not know God. He says, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. The Apostle Paul is reminding us here that this is the lot of humanity outside of Christ, fallen in Adam enslaved to those that by nature are not God. And notice how he begins to uh, describe such slavery. He says also there, and warning them, and we'll say more about this, but notice at the middle of verse 9, he says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless principles or elements of the world? Now last week we had spoken about this word that's translated here, the elementary principles of the world. You'll notice if you look back to chapter 4, verse 3, it says there that in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. It's the same word. And we had seen how what this word is getting at are, it can be simply translated as the elements. And the elements were understood as wind, fire, air, and water. The elements were th- thought of as that which, which um, the world in which we live in were composed of. And so when the Apostle Paul speaks of the elements that they were enslaved to, the basic idea he has in mind here are those who are serving the creature, that which is created, rather than the creator. Serving the elements, serving that which is man-made, whether it's stone or, or wood or whatever it else might be. And so in many ways, uh, this term simply conveys the idea of idolatry. Uh, Those who are serving that which is by nature, not God. And notice Paul describes them as weak and worthless. Again, this is the testimony of God's word over and over and over again, that the idols of this world, right, right, serving the things of this world 
whether they are material things or it's various ideologies it might be, whatever idols we may set up in this world, Paul is reminding us what the Bible teaches, that they are weak, so they cannot affect what they promise. Right? We, sim- we usually look to idols for safety, uh, for protection, for a good future, for hope. Right? We look to these idols, and Paul is saying that such idols are, in fact, weak. They don't have strength. They're, they're not able to accomplish the things that we might look for them to do. And read the whole you know, book of Isaiah. Isaiah is always calling out the idols and the irony of serving them, right? You serve these things and you think that they're going to help, uh, but in time of need, they are never able to help. Uh, this past Thursday, we were looking at Judges uh, chapter 3 with uh, Josh Janier leading us, and it was very fascinating to read about one of the judges. Some of you might be familiar with him. His name is Ehud. And Ehud was raised up by the Lord to deliver uh, his people long ago. And it's quite interesting that Ehud, as he goes on this assassination mission, not to read Judges 3 for all the details, but he goes in to assassinate the king, King, king Eglon. And it's interesting that as the story is told, it says that as he begins his assassination attempt, and it is successful, it says that he passed by the idols. And, and as he passes by the idols, he has a dagger, a sword, uh, concealed under his right thigh. And it's quite telling because the idols that were meant to protect the king, the idols that they looked to for safety, the irony of it is that these idols certainly couldn't detect the dagger in Ehud's, on Ehud's thigh. And it also says that once Ehud accomplishes the mission and leaves, that he now he passes by the idols again. You know, you're saying, why does the author who's telling the story highlight the fact that he passes the idols going, passes the idols coming back? That he passes the idols and the idol doesn't warn the king of a dagger on his side. And he leaves going by by the idols and doesn't judge Ehud for having killed the king, right? The whole point is that the idols are weak. The whole point is the idols cannot do what the people look for them to do. And right, so that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. Reminding them that they were once enslaved, serving uh, in, in uh, in chains to that which was weak. And not only weak, but also, as he says, worthless. There was nothing of value to them. And within the economy of this world, they had nothing that they could give to enrich the lives of their people, of those who serve them and worship them. The the picture is is that of of people serving worthless and weak things, but but enslaved to them wasting away under them. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that is once where you found yourself. That was once you formerly. And that is, again, that universal truth of all of humanity, fallen in Adam, serving and worshiping the creature, serving and worshiping the elements, even deifying them. During Paul's day, the water was referred to as the domain of Poseidon, right? This deifying the elements, Deifying the wind, deifying fire, deifying the earth and the land, right? The Apostle Paul is reminding them that of their pagan past. It's a similar uh, word that the Apostle Paul says in uh, 1 Thessalonians, a verse we had noted last week, but again, very telling. Uh, there he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
also reminding the Thessalonians of their past, he says this, People report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's that same turn, right? Serving idols, enslaved to the elements, now serving the living God that Paul is talking about here, right? Because he says, verse 9, he says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back? to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. The Apostle Paul is saying, that was once where you were. But now that you've come to know God, or better, to be known by God, how could you turn back to slavery? It's the same question we might ask Israel in the wilderness, right? When they want to go back to Egypt, right? They're like, let's go back to Egypt. We're wasting away in the wilderness, It's the same idea that the Apostle Paul is getting at here. This idea to return to those who once enslaved us. The Apostle Paul is saying that that is what they are being tempted with at this moment. And yet Paul is saying that you've come to know God, or better, to be known by God. Why does Paul add that phrase there, right? You've come to know God, or better, to be known by God. I think Paul does that deliberately to remind us that their current position, that they're, they're having been uh, redeemed and delivered from slavery, was ultimately initiated by God himself. It is God who has known them. And by knowing them, he has pursued them. By knowing them, he has sent his son to deliver them. Right? By knowing them, he has given them salvation. And so the Apostle Paul turns very quickly from saying, you know God, to You've been known by God to highlight the fact that it's God who has initiated. It's God who has pursued you. It's God who has delivered you. And now you're going to turn back to that which you once were enslaved to. The Apostle Paul is astonished at that reality. And we could be reminded of ourselves at at points, right? Things that the Lord has delivered us from. Things that the Lord has has broken the chains of, as, as you can say. And this idea and this desire to maybe return to those things, to return to that which once enslaved us. Again, Paul, the Apostle Paul is, is, is speaking also to us, even today. And to remind us of the freedom and to remind us of the joy and to remind us of the privilege that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So Paul is astonished. And the way in which they were, to, they were going back, as he says in verse 10... He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain, right? The idea of just going back to these old regulations, right? The Apostle Paul earlier, which I won't repeat all of it, had said that, you know, to go back and serve uh, God in in the terms of the law and to, to, um, again, commit yourself to all of the regulations of the Old Covenant and all of its meticulous law-keeping, the Apostle Paul is saying that that is, in a sense, going back to the elements, going back to serving the idols. It's going back to serving the things that belong uh, to this world. Calendar days, circumcision, uh, certain feasts, like all of these things the Apostle Paul is saying are things that God has delivered us from in Christ. And so Paul is reminding them of, of their past, what, God, what they have been delivered from, that they might not return back to it. 
that they might press forward to the land of promise that is before them. And that though they might find themselves as a pilgrim people in the wilderness, and though they might find themselves as a people who face trials and times of testing, that the answer is not going back to which God had brought them from, but to press forward and to persevere, knowing that God will ultimately bring them to that promised land. To, as Paul is going to talk about in chapter 6 of Galatians, to that new creation that God has promised to his people. All right, and so the Apostle Paul speaks to us at a very particular moment in the life of, of the church. A people who have been delivered, but a people who have not yet arrived in the fullness. We are a people like those of the wilderness of old, right? We have trials, there's times of testing, our faith is pressed, right? All of these things. And the Apostle Paul is saying, don't cave and don't give in and don't grow weary and return to what you left from. Read the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament as well. It's the same idea taking place there. Instead, persevere. Instead, continue trusting in the Son. Continue looking to Jesus Christ. Continue believing. And as we're going to see in our second point, continue walking by faith and not by sight. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at throughout this letter. And so he encourages you even this day, continue to walk by faith. God will bring you to where he promised to bring you. He will do it. His word is sure. He is true to his word. He has always been true to his word. And therefore, the answer is not to leave and go back, but to press forward and to persevere. Right, so that's what the Apostle Paul is reminding them and why he reminds them of their pagan past. But secondly, Paul reminds them of their reception of his gospel. Remember how the Apostle Paul opened up the whole letter here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. The Apostle Paul in- introduces himself saying, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, right? It's this message, it's this good news that the Apostle Paul, at one point in history, had entered the city of Galatia and and began preaching and began proclaiming. And he's reminding the Galatians of that time, of when he had arrived first among them, to proclaim that salvation is found by faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says, verse 12. He says, Brothers, I entreat you to become as I am, For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel, the good news, to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul is saying that when he had first arrived in the city of Galatia, that he had arrived in such a condition that outwardly, if you were to look upon this man, you would say that this man is cursed, that this man is beaten, that this man, there's something about his physical appearance, the Apostle Paul doesn't necessarily specify what it was, but something about his physical appearance said to the Galatians that this man was cursed. There was nothing about Paul's outward appearance to the Galatians that would commend him to them or commend his message to them. I mean, think of the most beat-up person coming to you 
with, with news? How might you receive them? C- coming to you with a message, calling you to believe something. Would you believe this man? It's an interesting question. The Apostle Paul came after having been, having, after having been beaten, or after having been stoned, or after having been imprisoned, or after having not eaten for however many days. If, if, if a man in such a condition came preaching a message, how might you receive them? And this is what Paul is reminding them about. He's saying, I came to you in such a condition. In fact, my condition was a trial to you. My outward appearance was a trial to you. And yet, and yet, they didn't scorn him. And they didn't despise him. But they received him as an angel of God even as Christ Jesus himself. How? how? What took place there that the Galatians would receive such a man as an angel, as a messenger sent from heaven, even as Christ himself? The Apostle Paul is reminding them of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in opening their eyes to the truth that he proclaimed, the truth of the gospel, and that's Paul's point over and over again, especially in uh, 1 Corinthians, for example. The Corinthians were a people who loved outward appearance, who loved pomp and prestige and, and status and, and, and looking the part. The Corinthians loved that. They loved rhetoric. They loved sounding uh, with, um, um, very wise and intelligent and using uh, complicated words. Right? They loved wisdom. Right? They loved all of these things. And the Apostle Paul intentionally comes to them without words of wisdom. He intentionally comes to them kind of like a bumbling fool in order that the power of the gospel that he was proclaiming, the good news, would truly accomplish its purpose. That they wouldn't just receive the apostle Paul because he had a certain outward appearance about him, but they would receive the message that he was proclaiming. And same with the Galatians. He stumbles into this city in an outwardly vile appearance, in a sense, and yet they received him as Christ Jesus. This is, for the Apostle Paul, testimony to the fact that it is the Holy Spirit who had opened up their eyes to receive this message. That it was the power of God to save them. This is what the Apostle Paul saw with his eyes. It's why the Apostle Paul could say in Romans that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, not outward appearance. Not what we can see with our eyes. But the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The Apostle Paul, we ourselves experience that firsthand. And I think it's for this reason that the Apostle Paul says and and reminds them how in verse 15, he says, I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now some commentators have read this, and this very much could be the case, have read this, that the, the ailment, that the bodily ailment that Paul had upon arriving in Galatia had to do with his eyes. Uh, something, maybe he was blind, maybe he couldn't see, maybe he lost vision. Um, and so that's a, very much a possibility. But I do think the fact that the Apostle Paul has been emphasizing his own outward appearance, which is perceived, of course, by the eyes, I think that might be something that the Apostle Paul is getting at here. When he says, you would have gouged out your eyes. You would have removed that 
which you see the world through in order that you might instead walk by faith and not by sight. I, I think that's part of what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. That they were once a people who did not act and live merely on outward appearance, the way things looked around, the way Paul looked, but they walked by faith. They believed the message. They saw, not with their eyes, but with their ears in a sense, in terms of what they heard the Apostle Paul um, say to them. And so the Apostle Paul here is reminding them of their beginning. They're reminding them that they're, they're of their beginning by faith and not by sight. And now encouraging them, again, not to return to living by what they can see and what they can touch, what they can measure. They can see the mark of circumcision. They can see uh, and measure calendar days, as he's talking about. Right? These are things that they can hold on to and control. And that's often the temptation, right? We want a religious life that we can control and measure and point to and say, here is my assurance. Now, God has given us those signs and seals in baptism and the Lord's Supper as visible signs for our weakness, right? But there's this temptation to always want to go back to things that are external, things that we can, again, see around us. But the Apostle Paul is reminding them that it is by faith that we are assured. By faith, we are to live. By faith, as a wilderness people today, we press forward to the promised land, the new creation. And in fact, later, the Apostle Paul would say, you want marks? You want things to look at? He's like, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. His body was beaten. His body was broken. His body was scarred as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want marks, look to those. And it's a similar idea throughout the New Testament. You want marks? It's the fact that the world persecutes you, that you you know that you belong to me is the servant above his master, Jesus says, right? Again, if you want marks, it's not these religious rites and these religious acts, but it is, it is bearing all things for the name of Jesus Christ and being willing to do so because you are living by faith and not by sight. Again, that's what Paul is, is saying, I believe, uh, to the Galatians. And so in many ways, Paul's message Um, rubs against a kind of triumphalism that I think often is more uh, American, uh, drawn from American history than biblical Christianity. You know, how do we know the gospel is the truth? How do we know the gospel is, is, uh, Christ is conquering today? Well, we need visible signs around us. In many ways, the Bible reminds us that the gospel going forth and and expanding and, and going out into the world, the mark of that is actually opposition to that message that's the message that that's what God is reminding us right Paul himself bore that message on his body he, he bore he was a man beaten going to Galatia with a message and yet that message was going forth it's Paul imprisoned in other letters saying that he rejoices in his chains because the gospel is going out through them right the, 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 this is the kind of Christianity that the apostle Paul teaches uh, and this is the kind of one that he embodied in a very literal sense of that term. You might say, well, why is Paul enduring all of these things? And, and why, is, why is he putting his body through the ringer for the sake of Christ and the gospel? Like, what is he aiming at in all of this? What, what's the aim of the Apostle Paul's ministry here? Well, as he says, 
that he does so until Christ is formed in you. Notice what he says in verse 19. He says, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This was the aim and the goal of the Apostle Paul's ministry. It's why he endured all that he did. That through the preaching of the gospel, Christ would be formed in a people. And this continues to be the aim of gospel ministry today. It's the aim that I have. It's the aim that Pastor Paul has. It's the aim of the ministry here, of the gospel ministry here at Messiah's Reform Fellowship and in all churches that faithfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ would be formed in you. That you would reach full maturity in Jesus Christ. That's the goal of gospel ministry. That you would have Christ formed in you. And notice the language of that. In you. Hidden. In you. Not externally visible. I could look out and I know uh, and, and the godliness of many people here, the belonging to Jesus Christ, but you don't bear that on your body in terms of a certain glow off of your skin, though you all look very lovely today, right? It's like, you don't bear that on your body, but it's Christ, but it's Christ formed in you. That's the aim of gospel ministry. And that's the aim of our ministry here. Christ in you, hidden at present. The Apostle John tells us that who, what we are today is hidden and has not yet been revealed as the children of God. Yet one day it will be made visible. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3 that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. It will be evident to all that we belong to Jesus Christ. But at, at present, it's not visible. But the goal of the ministry today is not necessarily external marks or external things to point to, but Christ formed in you. Now that's going to have effects on your life. It's going to change things around you. It might change the place that you work in. It could change the area you live in, right? When Christ is formed in you and you live in the world. But that's the goal of ministry, uh, for Christ to be formed in you. And this was the Apostle Paul's goal, and it continues to be the goal as that same gospel that Paul preached is preached today, and we seek to be faithful uh, to that message. And so Paul is reminding them then that the Christian life today is primarily hidden. Your life is hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And therefore, do not turn back to serving that which you can see and taste and touch and measure but press on by faith, trusting his word. And notice that he has to say this in light of these false teachers that are calling them back to these things that they were once delivered from. He says to them, verse 16, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, speaking of the false teachers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. Right? He's saying the idea here is they're, they're courting you. They're, 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 they're kind of pulling you along, um, trying to attract you to themselves. But the Apostle Paul calls out their motives, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. They want to isolate you from the Apostle Paul. They want to isolate you from the message that I had brought to you, that they may make much of that they, that you may, may that you may make much of them. An important idea here. 
Well, the Apostle Paul is, is kind of getting at in terms of what are the tactics of these false teachers, right? They're luring them back. Well, primarily what they're trying to do is isolate the Galatians from the Apostle Paul. And you might say, well, why is that, you know, what's so great about the Apostle Paul? Why is that significant? Well, by isolating them from the Apostle Paul, they're isolating them from the gospel, the good news that the Apostle Paul proclaimed, the message that he had been given. And in many ways, again, if we can kind of generalize from this point, that is often the way in which our own enemies, Satan himself, seeks to destroy the church and to seek to destroy you by isolating you from and shutting you out from the apostolic gospel. Right? The, the same message that the Apostle Paul proclaimed is one that the church has continued to proclaim. And so Satan loves to isolate God's people and to isolate you from that apostolic message. And it's in light of that reality, it's in light of the fact that we have enemies seeking to destroy us and desiring that we make shipwreck of our faith, it's in light of that reality that certain exhortations go out throughout God's word. Don't neglect the gathering of God's people. Don't, don't neglect God's people as you worship and gather together to hear God's word in the public proclamation of it in preaching. You know, Satan loves to take God's people and make sure that they do not hear the preached word. But the preached word is the primary means of grace that God has given to you that you might be strengthened in this life, that you might walk by faith and not by sight. Or the preached word is meant to be at the heart of the Christian life. And therefore, it should not be, you know, we, we shouldn't think of it normal as Christians to say, well, I missed worship this week. Again, it's not because we need seats filled up or we need people here, but because it is vital to your life as a believer. It should be normal that we worship every single Sunday. It should be abnormal if we ever miss a Sunday. Again, not because we have to be here, and, and you're, but because the preached word is the primary means of grace in your life as a believer. That God uses to strengthen your faith. That you might walk by faith and not by sight. And therefore, right, what should be normal in our life, and should be no, what should be normal is that I attend the means of grace. I attend the public gathering of God's people diligently every Sunday. I was speaking with Eddie Urban he, he, during, um, I forget at what point, maybe it was when COVID started up and we were, able, were isolated for a time. Or he was on vacation, actually it was, and that's what it was. But he had made the point, right, he wasn't able to come to worship uh, for one Sunday and it felt off. It felt, it felt something was deeply missing. And, and that's a proper feeling, I do think, for the Christian. That it's not a matter of saying, well, I made two out of four this month. Let me pat myself on the back. This is good. Or I was busy this month. I had work things and various other things that kept me from worship. That's not normal for the Christian life. What should be normal is the weekly gathering with God's people to hear the word preached. And it's not because I'm a great preacher. It's not because Pastor Paul is a great preacher and needs to hear us. But it's simply because this is what God has ordained uh, for his church, that we would have this built into our lives. Normally hearing week after week the preached word. This includes also not just, you know, primarily it is coming to hear God's word preached, uh, but also it's daily reading of God's word. 
It's daily prayer. It's gathering often with other believers to encourage one another. And when we are gathered to encourage one another and not just uh, occupy ourselves with only earthly and worldly things, but to encourage each other. It means Bible studies on Thursdays. Again, these are things that you're not necessarily required to come to. No one's being disciplined if you don't make it to Bible study. But we should feel the need for these things in our lives. Because there's that constant pull to walk according to what we can see and not by faith. We need these encouragements um, in our life. We need prayer, right? That's why we have a prayer meeting every single Tuesday. That we would encourage one another and, and be, be mindful of the fact that we are dependent upon God for everything. All that we have are, is dependent upon him. And so I think we can see these in the Apostle Paul and his own worry for the Galatians. They're isolating the Galatians from Paul. And so Paul is encouraging the church, don't be isolated from the, from the gospel. And don't isolate yourself from the body of Christ where that gospel is loved and that gospel is, is taught and that gospel is applied as we speak it to uh, one another. And so the Apostle Paul desires us that we would stick close to that gospel message and that we would stick close uh, to Christ ultimately. When they heard the Apostle Paul preach, they heard it as if Christ himself spoke uh, to them. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. That's what took place in Galatia. It's what continues to take place in New York City as the gospel goes forth from us and other faithful churches. And it's with the gospel that continues to go forth even throughout this world. So just to come to a conclusion here, right? The Apostle Paul gave these reminders to the Galatians. He gives the reminders to us. Remember what God has delivered you from. And know what he has brought you into as he has come to know you as his son, as one who is heir of heaven and earth, the new creation. And also remember the gospel message. Do not forget it and stick closely to the word. Jesus Christ himself had given us this very truth when he said that we are to build our lives not upon sand that is sinking and is, can't withstand the storms, but upon him and his word. And that word has gone forth through the Apostle Paul and continues to go forth throughout our day. So stick closely to that word and believe and, and walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the Apostle Paul, uh, for that which he endured for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in your wisdom and your love for us, you have you have written these words down for us that we might read them and learn of you from them. And so, Father, as we have received these reminders, may we go forth by faith, uh, sticking close to that gospel word, that message proclaimed long ago, and that we would seek to glorify Christ as we live for him and for his kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.